0: just swap back and forth.
1: And we are live with our 55th episode of Absolute Appsec. I'm your only host today. Uh, <laughs> oh, s- crap. And I pulled it in. What'd you do? Um, I didn't mute the actual live stream. So <laughs> I was listening to myself say we are live. Great. <laughs> this is going so well this morning. <laughs> oh, man. Um, at Seth Law on Twitter, uh, Ken has decided to abandon us for, uh, I don't know, you know, pina coladas, the beach, family time, I, I guess whatever, Loco Moco Sec, whatever he wants to call it. Uh, <laughs> he's abandoned me or us this week. Uh, but happily, we have Stefan Edwards that's joined us um, at Logical on Twitter. Uh, stefan has been on the show before. Stefan, say hi. Hi. <laughs> That was, that was amazing. <laughs> I know we've been promoting this episode as uh you know Logic Kill uh, Ruins Infosec, right? We're going to start a series of these cuz uh, uh Stefan's a pretty opinionated guy if you haven't caught that on Twitter or you haven't seen him in life or talked to him before uh, and I think you know between the two of us I think every, we think everything is just awful and the worst and <laughs> I mean maybe not the worst but at least, you know, we can do better, I guess, is really what it boils down to.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, my first major talk was uh, on being an Eeyore in InfoSec. So.
1: That's right. I, I remember that one, right? You know, Yeah, that was, re- every- <laughs> that was a fun talk. That was a fun talk. Everything is the absolute worst. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we're we're going to get into software testing or testing here in a minute, Uh I think from a, an announcement perspective outside of the fact that Ken's at LocoMocoSec as as well as half of you know, AppSec Twitter and the AppSec community, um, uh, Ken and I will be at um, AppSec Tel Aviv or Global AppSec in Tel Aviv at the end of May. We're teaching our how to code review course. We do get into software testing a little bit in there. But that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about is how it differs, like code review and static analysis, from what people think of as testing. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really about it. Uh, if you have any questions, hit us up on Slack or on Twitter. I'll do my best to monitor or on the YouTube chat uh, channel. Since we're we're both here, I, you know, if I get too distracted by all of the opinions coming out of Stefan's mouth, then we'll. <laughs> We'll circle back around at the end of the episode, but anyway, so software testing.
0: Um, yeah, I don't think I'm that opinionated. I think I'm, I'm very, (laughs) I actually think I'm very like pragmatic with my opinions. I'm not dogmatic at all. I I guess
1: that's true, right? It's just, (laughs) it, it it comes across as, Hey, guess what? There's a better way to do this. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. Right. You know, they want the one true solution, um, and, and this, is, this is partly what I wanted to do to kick it off, is uh, like, we, we talk about testing a lot of times in application security and product security, uh, but testing means so many different things to different people, right? Um, you know, we, we've got, from, a, from just a basic perspective is, you know, like as consultants, we have people come to us and say, hey, I need a test done on X right? On Mm -hmm. this application. And the first thing that we have to do is we have to go in and figure out what exactly it is that they are thinking that they want. Um, Because testing to them could be a vulnerability scan, like a network vulnerability scan, Mm -hmm. which is not the same thing as the, the, the testing that we do. Or they say penetration testing, they want some red team activity, they want somebody to come in and own their domain infrastructure, um, and again, that's not something that we view as testing. So like we, we do a really kind of piss poor job in the industry of educating people as far as, hey, this, these are the different activities that we perform. And every consultancy calls them something different,
0: right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's even more fundamental than that, right? People don't even understand what they mean by testing itself like forget about what is infosec testing what is penetration testing what is red team activities like what are you actually trying to do with a test mm-hmm. like what are you trying to do and i i think you know a lot of the things that i do is at the programming language theory, theory you know level or space or whatever you want to do my my annoying quirks of of trying to go way too deep into languages and things and I really think people don't understand the fundamental idea of what testing is versus what specification is, right? Doesn't matter if that's dynamic, static, um, unit tests versus like, uh, you know, symbolic execution, whatever it is, people don't understand. In fact, um, a colleague of mine, Jocelyn and I, have been on calls where clients have said, oh, well, if we switch to symbolic execution, do we need to get rid of all of our unit tests can we get rid of all of our unit tests and it's like they complement each other they work in different ways but they they fundamentally do different things and you're fundamentally trying to do different things with them so it, it's an interesting case we see it all the time even with higher higher level testing sets
1: yeah yeah and I, like and i think part of the problem is the whole like, like the drivers be behind a lot of the testing are completely different, right? I, I mean, you've got one organization that is hyper concerned about compliance, say mm-hmm. with HIPAA or, or with PCI. And so all they're really looking for is, hey, how do I check this box? Um, right. Versus those that are looking for, hey, I, I wanna do a real security test and I wanna make sure that I have full coverage, which I, I mean, I'm sure we're gonna get into coverage because coverage completion is, I, I mean, that's a pipe dream, right? Like.
0: So, mm, I don't know. It depends on like, it depends on completeness and soundness and things like this. I'm sure you cover some of this when you get into your like static, static analysis class as well. Like how do you read code? Yeah, um, yeah that level of like, what is completeness? What is soundness is, is interesting when you get into higher level forms of testing and specification yep. and everything, you know? so
1: yeah well and but i mean that's exactly what i wanted to like dial in on because most of the time when when someone comes to us and says hey we want some sort of testing um you know if it's a development organization they're used to doing functional testing they're assuming that every single function that they're exposing to you is going to be tested for every single you know security use case um, Mm -hmm. which is which is a valid assumption right Right. whereas uh, like but depending on the experience of, number one, the consultant, number two, the tester, their experience with that code base or that application, that may or may not be something that they get. I mean, I, I just did analysis of a whole bunch of de- uh, dynamic um, scanners, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everything from Burp's new enterprise to some of the enterprise tools that are out there. And that's the one thing, like, from a coverage perspective, uh, all the tools were so hit and miss because it was so dependent on, hey, what does their crawler look like? You know, how do they know what the endpoints are, what the URLs are? Um, and I mean, I know this is kind of higher level than some of the lower level testing that we're talking about with functional and, you know, unit tests and things like that. But it's the it's the same problem that exists for consultants and, you know, the application, you know, testing industry um, is coverage is just, Uh, Like, it's so hard to prove that you've tested everything when you don't know what the base looks like. A a black box test, uh, I just, like, I'm like, hey, yes, I've tested everything that I can possibly see, but that doesn't mean I just didn't ignore 75% of the application because it didn't get exposed to me via the role that was given to me, right? Right. And they turn around and they give that to their compliance team and say, hey, this application has been tested. Six months later, they get hacked through that different different role. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, why didn't you test this? Or, you know, why do we have these vulnerabilities? And I'm like, because your scope, right? I, like, I just...
0: Yeah. I mean, if you think, if you think of uh, like the application's input as its domain and its output as its codomain, right. You have this yeah. like entire semantic search space of, of an application or a system that you, you have to, to test. And in reality, the only actual portion that you intended is this like little box in the center of, of what the actual application is. But there are so many techniques out there in order to discover what that box is and like we very often have huge gaps in what we think that box is and what our program actually intends for that box to be and we don't we don't get to the point of actually visualizing the box you know it's like that old cartoon of like what was sold to the client versus what was built versus like uh you know what was actually actually given to the client at the end it's like they wanted a tire swing and what was given to them was like a, you know a flat swing like half half tied to the tree and all that sort of stuff like you know everything in between is is just completely different because we don't specify things we don't we don't know what we're actually doing yeah we have no understanding of this whatsoever
1: well okay so that brings us to what you were saying like your you know specification just the simple fact of specification versus testing Right. So, what is it? What is it that you say to clients when they come in and they they're asking for a test? Like, how do you do? How do you differentiate between those two?
0: I mean, we do have clients that have come in with a full set of properties uh, at Trail of Bits. It's it's not uncommon for us to have clients who've, who've come in and have a full set of formal verification or formal spec- specification for their for their application. Right. So they'll come in with a set of invariants that say, uh, you know. Something does not change the entire, like no matter what you do to this application, this thing does not change the entire time, no matter what you do. So our tests hold, like we'll, we'll go through and attempt to see if there's anything that, that changes that, you know, other than like literally changing the value because we have deeper access to the program. Like, can we give it some series of inputs or can we give it some series of states such that the, the application fails and that no longer holds to be true? Yeah. So specification doesn't mean that it's correct. It just means that you specified what you think it should be doing. You still need tests to verify the edges. Specification points out, verification points in. And between those, you actually come up with the area of what your application or system is.
1: Yeah, okay. I mean and and that makes complete sense, right? The specification, and this is often what we're trying to get at when we talk about scoping right for testing an application is, hey, what is the specification? What is it that we are that we are going to be testing? I, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I like testing APIs and other things where I have some sort of full you know full specification of what that application does and what it's supposed to do, um, because you know most web applications, it's so kind of fuzzy around the edges like there's, it's easy to say, Hey, someone should be able to authenticate and you shouldn't be able to see somebody else's like, there's, there's some of these specifications that we take for granted, but at least the API gives us a formal set of specifications that we can work against when we're doing that testing. Um, everything else is kind of, I feel like it's so hit or miss and I, you, you came up with that chart, but I think we'll get into that kind of the fuzzing that yeah, can. and how that, yeah, what that actually represents. Um, yeah,
0: but I mean, fuzzing, especially like with Sputter or anything like that, when you have those sorts of like random mutation fuzzers, you're really looking for the area, uh, like the area of your application randomly, like a oh, random yeah. search of it. Versus if you have a specification and you're you're really walking paths, you may have a different area because the application does something different than what you're what you expected. But at least you're you're walking actual paths within the application itself, not just random generation that fails. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, you've got like your parameters that you send in and things like that. I, I mean, that was one of the, the problems I was trying to solve with Sputter when I initially came out with it was, okay, what is the specification? Like, who knows what the specification is for a web application? You know, it, it's typically not the tester that's walking in the door. It's your developers that, you know, put it together. So is there an easy way for us to define a specification that can be then passed out and tested in some manner? Like you can generate the different um that the, the different payloads and try and speed that up right but the specification itself is the hard thing to define um in a web application that that's only
0: well i mean applications themselves are just languages applied over some protocol right yeah i mean that's that's the thing behind uh like LangSec and even sputter itself right when you and i were first talking about how you came up with sputter your initial understanding was that The actual language of input was like these six to ten characters that broke everything. Yep. That's all you care about is injecting those. You know, do you want to give an intro on what Sputter is since I keep mentioning it? (laughs) it?
1: (laughs) So I, I think the initial acronym was like security payload, unit test, uh, testing framework runner. There you go. Runner. Yeah.
0: I thought it was runner.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It was runner. You're right. (laughs) Tells you how much I've like thought about that portion of it lately. Oh my gosh. Um, so, but the, like, like the idea behind it was like, we had this, uh, but we had these vulnerable applications that we were written and we wanted to make sure that it broke consistently like as you know people were training and then also when they fixed it that we knew that it was fixed right so someone's right. learning about sql injection they need to you know implement parameterized queries on this specific you know query to the database and when they do that when i enter the you know the single tick mark and sputter it doesn't crash anymore there's no reason that i need to go go to the length of fully exploiting that sql injection because i know it exists right so instead like we wrote this runner so that i could test for the failures outside mm-hmm. of a full exploitation or a full you know a full exploit um, and you know and then it, it became this whole thing of, hey, well, guess what? Like all of these different vulnerabilities, I don't really care about whether or not you can exploit it completely because as a developer, I just know that it's broken and it needs to be fixed.
0: Well, it, it eventually became a corpus of inputs, right? Because you changed yeah. the repository at some point and you actually you actually keep a corpus of things around. I mean, it's... It's similar to like we don't have to go too in depth with this, but it's similar to keeping like a vector space of all of the inputs that cause crashes and then running those along. It's it's like Daniel Messier's security list, like fuzz list, fuzz DB, all those sort of sort of things, but more formalized, right? You're lifting it up to a higher representation.
1: Yeah, yep, yep. And that was uh, yeah, you know, I generate the payloads so that they you know they make sense for whatever input is going on, but there is the whole like. Hey, you have to build kind of this formal specification on how Sputter interacts with the um, with the application itself, and then it'll you know if it fails, then it gives you back. All right, it looks like uh, you know this character is still having problems, um, but it, it did. It encompasses like kind of a full space, and I tried to uh, to take those different fuzz lists at, at, to that higher level, to just like you're saying, so that. I didn't have to test the, test as much. I really wanted to speed up the whole process and be able to implement something in a CI/CD pipeline that wasn't. Hey, I have to throw five hundred thousand payloads against the application to know whether it's vulnerable to XSS. I right. want to I want to throw three, right. um, and if I can throw those three and prove the same thing, then what's the point of running all five hundred thousand of those or whatever instead of just running the couple that I know about.
0: But you're really you're really shrinking the search space of of the things that you care about, right? Like that's that's really all you want to do with Sputter, yeah. Right, and and again, I think just by by noticing that there's a search space hack there, you you came up with a way of like specifying what you think the problem is, and and I guess that's my my takeaway from a lot of these is that people don't actually know what they're testing. Right, because yeah. what's the, what's the normal process that we go through? We we grab like fuzzdb, run the like two hundred thousand XSS payloads that it has in there. When yeah. in reality, it's like there could be like ten that you care about, which yeah. just break, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't well need that's to do the whole just space. I mean, I ha- I have a slide on my spudders talk that that's basically what it is. It's like, hey, look at look at these fifty payloads out of fuzzdb. Guess right. what? There's a single character that we care about in all 50 of those. Right. Because that's what's, you know, this, like, you know, okay, we're thinking about cross-site scripting. You're escaping from the, you know, data space into the command space. And there is a character or a sequence of characters that accomplishes that task. The rest of it is just how do I get something to fire to actually run JavaScript?
0: And yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you do search-based reduction in order to do that? Like, how did you come up with that that minimization there? Or did you, like, manually brute force that
1: i <laughs> I manually brute force that shit. I I always wanted to go back. I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to write something that'll just go, like, dump this out for me because I think it would be an interesting – it would be interesting to see what it is that I missed from, a you know, a manual perspective when I went through all those lists.
0: Right. Um, but – you know test test case reduction is always is always a problem right even even for tools like symbolic execution abstract interpreters fuzzers those sorts of things like they're generating the shrinks or figuring out what the shrinks are are always going to be an interesting problem and it's super interesting to do it over a language of inputs like that yeah so yeah
1: yeah so it's one of those things on my on my list. I, we should we should get together and talk for a half an hour outside of the podcast. Yes, because um, because I don't think it would be that difficult to actually do. At the time, it was more oh crap, I don't need one more thing to write, so I'm just going to do this manually. And you know, so it's like any open source project. Oh, there's improvements that need to be made, right?
0: But, and we um, shouldn't be drinking.
1: We shouldn't be drinking.
0: Yes. Not at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs>
0: Because because you and I usually end up drinking and then we get nothing done.
1: But <laughs> that's true. <horrible. laughs>
0: no, but I, I really do think that people don't understand that it's really just a it's just a math problem. There's there's nothing all that interesting to what we do.
1: Yeah. Right. Wait. No. 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 We, we, we're saving the world. Come on. What are you saying? No, right?
0: There's nothing. I mean, there's literally nothing interesting about what we do. It's just an application of like some some maths, you know? <laughs> I guess that's my controversial opinion for the podcast today, right? Is that nothing we do is interesting?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that, uh, Yeah, I, I mean, okay, so I've always got that statement and actually uh, uh, Ken's boss at GitHub came back and said by, you know, basically the same exact thing, right? That, you know, all penetration testers are like AppSec people or just glorified QA testers um, that do it poorly. Right. I like, I know yeah. I, like, I, 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 like I say that quite often cause I run into it all the time. Um, and when we get into your kind of graphs, we can talk about why that is. Um, I can't, I, remember one of the,
0: I literally,
1: you got graph. graph. graphs cause it's a math problem. You're right. And, and that's the other thing is people think that, uh, Oh, you're like this, you know, I mean, I don't know how you describe to people what what you do, but anybody that's not in the space, it it becomes really hard. They're like, oh, well, what do you do for work? And I'm like, oh, well, I do software security and they just like eyes glaze over and it basically evolves down to, oh, well, basically I'm like a hacker for hire, right? That's always what it comes because that's the only thing that they understand. Right. And then they're always like, hey, well, 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 can you teach me? And I'm like, you really don't want to sit next to me and watch what I do on a daily basis because it is super boring, right? Yeah like there, there is a little bit where you get that adrenaline spike you uh, you know you get that you solve that cool problem and it happens but a lot of it is just ramming your head against you know the side of the wall over and over and over and over again or automating that ramming until something actually happens
0: right right i mean it's so i think prior to coming to of bits so i used to think about us as just glorified qa testers But then working at Trail of Bits, I've I've come to realize that the vast majority of QA and indeed InfoSec is just like janitorial program analysis.
1: Janitorial program analysis? Yeah, I
0: mean, like, so program, program analysis is like when you're in computer science or theoretical computer science, and you're like analyzing algorithms, analyzing applications, looking at their search space, and that sort of stuff. And I've come to realize that, like, all we do is like very, like, what's that Greenspun's 10th rule? It's like every, every large C program is just a half-baked, poorly implemented, underspecified version of Common Lisp. Like, <laughs> it's the exact same thing here. Everything that we do in InfoSec is just a poorly specified, bug-ridden, like shoddy implementation of program analysis. Like, <laughs> I don't think I'm controversial at all. <laughs> no
1: I, 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 mean, I completely agree, right? Like I, yeah. I mean we've all we've all read the reports that come out of a lot of consulting firms, and it's like, holy crap, what did you do right? right uh, like and and, I, and even like my initial forays into application security and being an application security consultant, the initial process that I went through on most of those was okay, here's a QA style tool, right? I mean, we're talking back, you know, 12 years ago, like we're talking AppScan and WebInspect. Here's a QA style tool. See if you can get it running against this application. Mm -hmm. You know, take three or four days to do that. If you don't, just take whatever results you have and then do a little bit of analysis really quickly and kick out a report,
0: right? Well, I mean, how many times have we just like run ACK against an application and been like, yeah, it's all right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, like, honestly, it's, it's an area where you you just have to at some points, like, um, if I'm auditing a a code base, that's like multiple millions of lines of code, there are very few higher level tools that will run on 4 million lines of code. Oh, yeah, doesn't matter the language. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I've had clients come to me and, and say that they have a model uh, for something, some input or, or whatever. And that's really the way you have to do it is piecemeal. you have to come up with some portion of your application that you can test at a higher level and then not worry about the rest of it yeah, because yeah. you just you can't you're not going to get the the entire space down to what is the ideal
1: Oh yeah, well, and I mean that's what comes that's where it comes down to coverage right those Those extremely complex applications uh, you have to scope it down or you have to cut it up into chunks to actually to be able to analyze it. Um, and then, okay, so you have some sort of functional test or security test that you run against that small scope, but it, you know, it doesn't take into account, all right, all this stuff that you're ignoring that could have huge security implications. Right. Um, and like this even goes so far as, you know, we concentrate on the application security portion of things, but I rarely get into some of that like network operating system layer like the red teaming stuff and those guys like eat that up all day long because you know people make configuration mistakes and it's the same sort of idea though right if we're mm-hmm. looking at one component or one library that may be super secure but it ignores the fact that there's not proper randomization going on for you know creating you know encryption out uh, secrets or whatever and that's where the that's where the security issue exists so it's going to be very hard to get complete coverage when you're looking at an application of that size
0: well, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Like, so there's there was an intern at Trail of Bits who, uh, who worked on concolic execution of, of cryptography problems. Okay. So, so symbolic execution is where you have a, a symbol that you trace through an application and you apply constraints. So if you have like, if I is less than J, I and J, I is less than J is symbolic, and you walk both paths of the if, right? Mm-hmm. So- Uh, it's very difficult in cryptography uh, or math in general to, to have symbolic execution of, of maths, right? There's, there's a whole set of problems that you run into there. And this uh, intern worked on creating concolic, which is concretized inputs from symbolic constraints. Right. Okay. And there's a whole, there's a whole science behind doing those sorts of things, but the intern worked on this and and he, He worked on some real world problems in in uh, cryptography's uh, libraries to prove out that they had mistakes or or not and there's a, a blog post on it i can link it in here but it's it's interesting we can do these sorts of things we can do that like higher level testing it's just we have to apply brains and time and and just as an industry we don't like doing either one of those clients don't want to pay us for it and then since they're not paying for it we we generally shy away from it unless you work in certain areas or certain research types, you know?
1: Yeah. I I mean, that's another problem that we could, you know, I'm sure we could harp on quite a bit, right? Like the, the, the amount of time that it takes to do most of this is not something that clients want to do. And I think that's, that has led to the problem that we have with most of these tools is, okay, we want to do testing, but we want it to fit into our, our, you know, CICD pipeline. So I want you to t- to give me full coverage of testing on this application. and I only want it to take, you know, I, it has to take less than 20 minutes. Um, and it's, you know, 2 million lines of code. And at that point, you're, I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you, but you're not going to accomplish that, right? Like, right. You know, it, you're just not, right? Like, they're, they're, you're not giving us the time. You're not giving... you you're having, you have a poor understanding of what it is that you're trying to accomplish, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: Well, I think, I think even worse than that, I don't think clients actually know very, or, or very, not always, but I don't think very often clients know what it is that they wanted their application to do to begin with. So it's like a cascading set of failures, right? Like they don't know what they intended. And then they give it like business gives that to developers. Developers don't exactly know what, what was intended, so they write a bunch of stuff that may or may not be like the shape, you know? And you just have this cascading set of of, like, no one knows what anyone is doing, no one exists on purpose and everyone dies, so let's like get this out the door. No, I mean, seriously though, right? Like, you know, it's all just a mistake. It's all a horrible mistake and we don't do anything to make it less of a mistake. (laughs) Well,
1: I I mean, okay. So, so I'm going to be honest as a consultant, when I walk into situations like that, right? And and it happens more than exactly what you're saying. Like it happens all the time. As a consultant, I can't come in and say, hmm, you should throw this all away because it's complete crap, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's We both. I've been on assessments with you where you've done that. <laughs> okay, so I, I kind of say it behind the scenes, right? Like, wow, look at this finding. Look at this finding. Wow, you shouldn't have done this. And, you know, but like, so that's the, the that's the underlying. But but realistically, that's not what they want to hear. So it's of like you're walking this fine line of you're you're paying for me to actually do work, but like I can't tell you that you've got to throw out the the you know the baby with the bathwater or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, otherwise, you're not going to have me come back next year. You're just going to find somebody else that says, hey, this looks great, and then you're going to move on.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's always a balance, right? Like clients hire you to, to actually do, uh, to, to do the test. But like how far do you want to take that with clients? When they, when they have completely messed something up, Um, do you want to do what gets you back in the door next year or do you want to do what's best for them? And what's best for them may be like, this entire thing is horrible and you need to throw this out and start over again.
1: Yeah. Those are the situations where I feel bad, right? Like I'm just like,
0: Hey, (laughs) (laughs) I have no shame. (laughs) No, I mean, one of the, one of the things we have to do is really pull clients aside and be like, look, unfortunately, I don't think you understood what you intended to do. You certainly didn't write what you intended to write. And on top of that, like, we can't test this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, so, and that's just it. like, I have the, like we have those applications, right, that you, you've tested where it's just like everywhere you turn is a security vulnerability, right? Oh, sure, it's right. like, oh, look, you've got, you know, you're dumping all of your client data on a page. Oh, look at, you know, there's SQL injection across the application. And and then they're like, well, what's the worst one? Where should I start when they, you know, you start reporting the vulnerabilities. And I'm like, uh, realistically, you should turn it off. Yeah. And you should start from scratch, right? You should, like, you've just got to nuke half of this and go back to ground zero because it's not implemented correctly. And you're not, you're always going to be playing catch up. Uh, And and you're right. You're absolutely right that that's going to be the, that is the, That's the correct thing to do for that client, right? Um, Most of the time, that also means that they're probably not going to ask you back next year Mm -hmm. because you just created a whole bunch of work for them. And in order for them to make their PCI compliance, they've got six months worth of work in front of them. And they're going to blame you for it all day long. But I mean, that's being a consultant, I guess. You're, You're right. You know, That's being a consultant.
0: But I mean, it's like if you think of if you think of one application component or one system as, you know, as domain and codomain, right? And then you as you go back in tensor space or Hilbert space or whatever you want to say, like as you go to higher levels of dimensionality with with other components and fitting together and doing like matrix multiplication across all of those to see the cascading failures and death across the entire application set. I mean, it, it gets very big, the entire search space that we as testers have to find is, is bad. The entire search space that they have to fix is bad. I mean, it's just, it's, it's awful. I mean, it's really yeah. bad or it can be anyway. It's, it's unique because I was hopeless until I came to Trail of Bits and now I'm like, whoa, there's actually, there's actually a potential here to fix things. Um, yeah. I'm not always a nihilist. I'm just mostly a nihilist.
1: Exactly. Mostly a nihilist. You've been playing in <laughs> MySpace for too long where it's exactly. just like nothing, nothing ever gets better. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everything is gray. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it, if you think about it, though, like really we have to define, like as, as penetration testers, we have to find those edges ourselves in scoping. And then you get in and there's like, oh, there's actually this entire triangle or trapezoid over here that we've completely forgot to tell you about yeah and it's just like nothing you do ever gets better
1: Mm -mm. well no it it always it, it doesn't well it always feels like you come back the next year right like even those applications that have been tested previously and you've looked at previously like a little bit of a new perspective and i think that's what you're saying a little bit of a new perspective all of a sudden you've got more in scope you've got more that didn't get tested last time and guess what? It has the same problems as the stuff you found last year, even though they fixed it in one spot, it still exists in the other, especially with that, you know, the uh, domain codomain that you're talking about. Um, it just like it, it continually expands. And they like none of these applications are something that is frozen in time either. Uh, it, no. You've always got, you know, new development, you've got New support features. You've got upgraded libraries. You've got all this stuff that's happening. So it's not in a vacuum. The code's not in a vacuum. The testing method methods that you're using don't exist in a vacuum. Um, the industry as a whole has moved, and so it just becomes this like it's a never ending problem. Is basically, it, I mean, I think that's what you're saying, but that's also what I take away from it, you know. And then you know, we talk about burnout on those things too, because it's just <laughs> like. All right, well, so what did I accomplish today, right? Is great, I found more stuff, right? (laughs) And it's probably not going to get fixed. So, you know, did what I do actually matter? It did to somebody, right? Because now they hate me because I gave them a bunch more work to do, but... I got paid. (laughs) I got paid, there you go. (laughs) I can feed myself for another day. That works too.
0: (laughs) I mean, like, so we do a lot of work in blockchain, right? And you know, um, you'll have clients come to you with like, say Ethereum, right? And Ethereum runs on the EVM. And so we actually, there are actually formal models for how EVM operates. Yeah. And there are a ton of things. It looks like Tim is, Tim is messaging me as payback for last time when I was with him last time. I'm sure he is. (laughs) But like Ethereum, EVM, there are formalizations there that you can actually understand what an application is doing, right? There are multiple ways of actually understanding what an application is doing, what what you think you're testing, specifying those sorts of things. And I do think you can empower developers to get better, but we're just not doing it for a lot of things, right? Yeah. There's no like, there's Java formalizations, but no one, no Java developer who's writing like, you know, uh, Spring or Struts or anything wants to think about that sort of stuff because the tools just aren't there. Yeah the tools aren't there to warn them that like hey by the way because of how strings work in java and and the semantics of what you're doing like you accidentally just ruined your performance metrics here or whatever you know yeah
1: oh no no they don't think about it in that in that perspective i i mean it's all driven by business and that's part of the issue that we're running into right as business has like this objective that needs to be met and testing is honestly like as long as it's functional and it works that's all that they necessarily care about
0: well, it was interesting. Maybe I'll ignore everyone. Um so this is by the way if you've never actually met like met me in person or if you've never if you've never spoken to me uh like as a whole these are the sorts of things I will text you yes. at random. Like uh, yeah, Seth, I should
1: I should show my text
0: strings. <laughs> yes. <yeah>, Seth, <laughs> Seth has seen this before where I will literally text him like a set of graphs and be like, "Dude, this is what I was just thinking about." Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so I, I tend to think of application search space like this, right? So like the, the upper left corner here is the, is the entire semantic domain of whatever you're running on, like x86 or, or the web or JVM or Ethereum or anything like that. And the ideal is this, this top right form here. This is what we wish we had, right? I can yeah. probably zoom in. I don't know how much I can zoom in on that and have it shown, but what can you That's see, that- Steph? That's that pretty good, good right there. Okay. Yeah. So the top right is like the ideal of what, of what we would be looking for. It's like the exact box of, of, what we're, of what we want our application to do. But no one specifies that or few people actually specify what they want. And so we end up in these situations that are very ju- disjoint, like traditional development. We have these like series of points that we think we did, but we have no idea of testing if they're actually within the box that we want and then with traditional testing, we have these sorts of like, we have tests and we think they represent edges, but then maybe like these, the center tests in the middle here, they may not be tests that are useful for anything that actually shows what the application is doing, but they are tests, they exist and they do things. Um, you know, you, you can come up with these situations where you have these, these sort of like very facile, very, very uh, in-depth tests that get you to a hundred percent coverage, but they they're not meaningful whatsoever because you have no specification to test against, you know, yeah. um, it's like uh, I've seen, I've seen tests before, uh, where someone has specified that, uh, you know, that a hash is of a specific length and it's like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's true. It's a good invariant, right? Like we, I'd worry if you came up with a shot two fifty six that was not of the correct length like that. That's a good one. But like, is that a meaningful test to have? Like, what does that prove about your system? Right? (laughs) Like, but this is what we do. This is literally, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about unit testing and integration testing, or if you're talking about pen testing, this is the sort of stuff that we're doing. Like we have a bunch of tests, but like, what the hell do they represent? No one knows. They represent literally nothing because there's no specification there. There's no God that you can hold yourself to, and and therefore everything is 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 valid, and everything is just you know completely empty.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, so this was interesting because I did like recently I came up against an org that uh, it was they did more formal testing, right? Mm-hmm. But. Like I came in, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do like a you know a pen test or an application assessment against your against this this mobile application. And they're like, well, can you give us a list of all the the tests that you're going to be running? And I said, well, if you can give me a specification, then maybe I can, right? But mm-hmm. realistically, you don't have that, and you don't know even what your ideal looks like. You've got your unit tests because I can see those, but that doesn't necessarily tell me everything that I need to run against this. Like you don't give me enough time. I, I basically came back and said, well, I can develop a specification and give you a list of everything I'm going to be testing, but it's going to cost you another like two to four weeks worth of work for me to do that. And they just went, Oh, Oh, well, never mind. Just do your thing. Right. Because right. again, they didn't want to pay for it. But this, this gets really interesting. Cause I, like, I don't think we visualize this enough when we are going into a test, we have our, you know, fuzz DB list. And, you know, I see fuzzing down in the lower left corner of your, mm-hmm. your graphs here. But, um, like, that's that's what we build off of. So we we consider complete coverage to be, hey, what did I discover, right? Like the traditional dev little box. And then did I actually run all my tests against all of those little boxes that are all those little points that I found? Um, but at the same time, it ignores the stuff between there. And I think that's what you're pointing at in the traditional testing graph that you've got, where there's the broken lines, because yeah. I, I mean, we're just ignoring pieces of the application because we don't see them,
0: right? We don't see them and we don't even know if the application is supposed to be doing that or not.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true.
0: I mean, so frequently we come up with these things and we, we look at an application as like, I, I mean, even, even with applications with formal specifications, you can come up with ga- gaps or you come up with larger area than what you expected. And that's what I show in the bottom right there. But even even with applications with with formal verification, there you can come up with weird edge cases to stuff, and it's like, is it supposed to do this? I don't know. So it actually expands out the semantic graph or the semantic area of an application, and it's it's yeah. it, it's hard. It's it's a hard problem, and no one like I don't think people like to admit that it's a hard problem because you know, like there are companies out there that are doing great work, like uh, runtime verification. Um, uh-huh. They're doing work in the blockchain space and others. Um, Trail of Bits obviously does that. Um, another per- another company that does some of this is like uh, Consensus Diligence has some work on like MythX and whatnot to do some some formal testing. And it, but it's still at the edges edges of the the empire, I guess you want to say. Like when I worked at it, when I worked together with you, I should say, um, yeah. Like, you and I had, there were a few times where we talked about like, Hey, we could like formally verify this or we could ab- you know, abstractly interpret this. And the client looked at us like we had 17 heads.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They they we uh, yeah. They had no idea even what we were talking about in most right. cases. Right. Although sure. We came for a pen test.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if everyone knows what I'm talking about either, but that's, that's, that's often okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we, we just pretend Stefan, it's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm so used to it at this point, right? <laughs> but I mean, I, I do think traditional testing is like a series of, of broken lines that we don't really understand what we're doing, and we don't really because the client has no idea what the app is supposed to be doing. It's very difficult to in traditional testing to actually like uh, you know actually show what you know what we're doing is meaningful in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, can a user actually actually affect the thing that you're, you're showing them. Uh, Like, I don't know, you, you don't know, you don't know if it's supposed to do this or not, like, Mm -hmm. why are you pushing back on me? So it, yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's very difficult to, to see, to see this, especially with traditional, with the traditional testing space. Right. And then we do have higher forms of testing, but they're, they're not as often used and, and if they are used, they're sometimes very often misapplied, right? Like fuzzing. Fuzzing is not a panacea for all testing. There are things that fuzzing won't find, even coverage-based fuzzing. That's why symbi- like there are some symbolic executors that use fuzzing to concretize their data. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, like, but fuzzing, again, itself is, is just an attempt to randomly find the edge cases. It's like Monte Carlo simulation for for input testing.
1: Monte Carlo sim- simulation. No, it, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I don't know, like, you know, I think about state of an application and then, you know, fuzz cases and even what I was trying to, or even what, you know, sputter accomplishes is that, you know, a higher order form of fuzzing, but it's still fuzzing. Um, and finding those edge cases is great, but it there there's no guarantee that you found them all. I, I mean, the the scatter plot is what it looks like, you're, you know, your fuzz graph there um like there's just so much that you're missing that it, it didn't really matter that you did the fuzz test
0: well i mean i think i think what you say about state is interesting because state machine modeling and state machine and like most most applications are actually stateful yeah the protocol the protocol themselves or the protocol itself may not be stateful but the application itself is actually stateful and clients are not thinking of state as an input as a language of state grass transitions, right? And you can model that. You can model all of this shit and it's actually good and you're done with it. And that's exactly what you did with Sputter, right? Is that you, you saw that there are a series of things that break the, the state change diagram yeah. that they in, in, expected. And then, and then you, you wrote a tool that did that. Yep. I mean, it's what you see in Mozilla's Dharma. It's what you see in AFL, American Fuzzy Lop. Um, those sorts of like higher higher order fuzzers are or coverage based fuzzers, are that's exactly what they try to do, and that's what like at the higher end we have tools like Mask. Um, let me let me find it. The um, symbolic executor. Th- this so there is a portion. Of, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, there's a, there's a bunch of new symbolic executors and new tools out there um, to do. That sort of that sort of assessment space there, or or to to find those sorts of tests by doing things like gra- or like matching what a symbolic executor is with what a fuzzer does. Yeah. So maybe should I like give a two second intro to what symbolic execution is? Because I keep yeah. saying it.
1: Yeah, I think that would probably be good um, for those that aren't familiar with it. That
0: would be which would cool. most likely be most folks.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't think there's a lot of people that actually do symbolic execution. I I mean, Trail of Bits is like, but in like even the consulting space on my side, that's not something that I usually approach even at all. So yeah, let's.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something we do at Trail of Bits quite frequently, but that's more because we, we, uh, you know, we, we have tooling and we have the space for it. And unfortunately there's not as much of that space and tooling out there. Let me, let me just stop sharing and then switch. Okay, it's it's gonna switch back to my face, my mug for a second. And then I can, there you go, I can actually choose one. Um, Hang on. So symbolic execution is this, we have, we have a series of, of initial states, right? Like, x is equal to some symbolic one, symbolic input one, and y is equal to some symbolic input two, right? And then we have this, this path where we check, is X greater than 80, right? So simple, simple one, right? So then we, we generate these path constraints. So we have a, a path constraint here of X is greater than 80. And if X is greater than 80, we do these, these sorts of calculations and flow down this tree here, right? So if X is greater than 80, we say X is greater than 80. We say X is equal to Y times 2, Y is equal to 0. Now we know the path constraint here is X is greater than 80. So we have a check, is X equal to 256? And then we have the two sides here, is X greater than 80 and is X equal to 256? If X is greater than 80, but it's not equal to 256, we return return false, right? So we map out the entire, I I love how you're like trying to not smile at this bullshit that I'm showing on screen (laughs) here.
1: This is super interesting. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Where's Stefan going with this?
0: Well, no, so when you have symbolic execution, you can map out all the different paths and the path constraints there. Now, where this actually becomes interesting is that you have tools like solvers or like fuzzers that you give those path constraints to. And then you have them generate code that does this. And does that lead to a crash? So here we have a path constraint of X is greater than 80 and X is not equal to 256. We would give that to a program and it might spit out X is 81. Yep, Because X is greater than 80, but it's not equal to 256, right? And then it'll trace through this program and know that it returns false here because we did that and we can have these sorts of path constraints and analyze our applications under these sorts of things. Now this is where you get to higher level verification, higher level testing, those sorts of things. But if you don't actually know what you're supposed to do, like is this a meaningful test itself either, right? It's better. Yeah, I
1: mean, yeah it it is. It is better. Uh, but like I think just like the the abstractness of the of of the example as well is also like very telling because without like, yeah, we, you know, when I look at this, right. I'm like, okay, this is great, but what's the point of this, right? Right. Why are we doing symbolic execution? What, what are we trying to prove by saying, yes, it's true or yes, it's false. Cause if I don't know that the, you know, running this sort of a test and having these path constraints, it doesn't matter to me.
0: Right. So most of the, like, there's a new, a new, uh, a new set of tools uh, out there that form off of the, there's a, there's a paper. I'm going to link it to you here um, in chat, just like the concolic one. So there's a, there's a new set of, of tests that are coming out and a new set of tools, like the one that I just sent you, which is automatic exploit generation. And most of these sorts of like automatic exploit generation tools work by doing path search, so everyone remember back to A star search when you were in, in algorithm class and all that sort of stuff, they do path constraining and they do, they do uh, tree walking in that regard. And then they do concretizing of, of inputs in order to cause crashes. Okay. So like at, at trailer bits, we have a tool called manticore. Um, there's, there's a bunch of symbolic executors, but in manticore, we actually model x86, And then we model certain states within x86, like a page fault or a buffer overflow. We model those and then we run a program through and generate a set of inputs that gives us a page fault or gives us a, a buffer overflow. Okay. So that's where the I know it, it seems abstract. Like who gives a fuck if X is is greater than eighty and and not equal to two fifty six. Two fifty six. Who cares? Yeah. But you know, like you can actually you can actually use these to to cause to cause uh, errors if you actually know what you're testing. You have to, and it all comes back to specifications, which we don't have for so many things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean that that starts to make sense, right? Like that. Okay. Yeah. Then that's a symbolic execution. Because at that point, if you can figure out what the specification is that leads to a buffer overflow, that's going to give you, you know, that's that automatic exploit that you've just discovered is, okay, all right, now, you know, can you actually execute something? Does that, does that lead to actual, you know? Who cares? Yeah, yeah.
0: Who cares? Honestly, who cares? I mean, and, and it's interesting that we have these tools and it's very difficult to use them because there's just nothing mapping into the space very frequently for them. But that AEG paper, there's a there's a bunch of them that have come out recently that do really interesting stuff with the with the entire space there.
1: Okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, I I, I mean, that's a lot to read, right? So (laughs) (laughs) that's too much. Come on, Stefan. No, (laughs) that's
0: Dude, you know me like I will send you dreams of tech, like I send you papers in in iMessage. Like
1: oh, I know, <laughs> I pull it up on my phone. I'm like, ah, oh, crap! I gotta store this as a PDF somewhere to get back to it. It's good night reading. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay, so that, that that's our short rundown on symbolic execution. Right? <laughs> <laughs> short rundown. Uh, Obviously, if you have more questions, hit us up on Twitter. Um, I did have one question that came in. Let's see. Um, uh, do you guys find red teamers easier to migrate to AppSec role, or do you prefer getting a QA dev moving into uh, new moving into uh, AppSec? I've um, done
0: I've done all three. Yeah, I've done QA, I've done red team, and I've done I, I've done like the you know this sort of like tr- I wouldn't say I'm a traditional AppSec person <laughs> at all by any stretch of the imagination uh but i do AppSec now i mean that's my that's my general thing right so yeah
1: and i and i know like in in general like the more that we've had the podcast the more that we talk to people about how they got into AppSec, it's you know i don't think anybody's really got a traditional path that they took into it um you know i you know, I, I know people that do pretty well, not necessarily doing like deep symbolic execution, <laughs> but, but they do well in like application security and testing applications. And they've come from a red team background. Right? Right. They've, they've learned how to piece together that puzzle. Um, typically they've got some sort of coding experience, right? They've tried to build some tools. They've actually learned to read code. Uh, like it's very hard to exist in the AppSec space and not at least have some, some familiarity with code. Um, But yeah. So like, I'd I'd probably say traditional role would be more of a coder, like somebody from dev or QA that moves into application security. I think they have an easier time of it, Uh, but it's not the only path.
0: I don't know. I mean, I, so as someone who spent time in red team and and spent time watching folks like Chris, like people who are much better red teamers than me. um, I do think that, uh, I do think there's some level of coding and some level of like living off the land and some level of like if you if you can't code as a red teamer like you're rel- like you either have support staff who can code very quickly um or you're or you're mostly running canned stuff and are you really red teaming at that point you know um, yeah uh, it, like it's much more adversarial testing than red teaming. Like red teaming is a lot of thinking on your feet. And part of that comes with it is coding now good or bad. That's another question, but you are coding there, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you're creating some sort of uh, like, I I mean, at the very least you're doing bash like PowerShell scripts at the very least. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're a true red teamer, um, if not Python, I mean, you may be writing some exploits, Right. Like the good ones, I'm sure are. Right. You know, oh, yeah,
0: like, absolutely. Or they have a team behind them that do it. Right. Yeah. Which is fine too. I mean, it's fine to have a, a tooling team um, where I worked previously several years ago. Like, red team did, was not expected to code exploits, but there was a team behind them that, that was constantly coding exploits and was constantly looking for that sort of stuff, you know. So yeah. within yeah. our own so, environment, obviously. So yeah. cool. All right. Did I exhaust you, Seth?
1: <laughs> no no you're fine yeah. you haven't you haven't have we, we we can keep going I, I was just looking at that question came in so i thought i'd ask it
0: no it's a good um, one i mean it's it's hard too. people very frequently ask me like how do i get into infosec how do i get into appsec how do i get into like red teaming and it's i mean, I mean it's just i don't know volition like you want to yeah. right i mean if you understand systems and you everyone builds a mental model I don't care who who you are, everyone is modeling constantly. That's the way we experience the world, right? So red teaming is just looking at that model and looking for those edge cases and gaps and tests and procedures much faster than other people are in a live environment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, in a live environment. I mean, we're doing the same thing in AppSec, right? Like that Mm -hmm. it's a constant, okay, what is this model that exists for this application? and where do the developers make mistakes i mean that that's where having like some sort of coding background and having built some stuff helps out a lot is because you know where i i mean for me i know where i get lazy right Mm -hmm. i do right you know i i know that hey it may be easier for me to write this in this way like for a SQL statement than this way and i didn't want to look up how parameterization works so i created some crappy white you know blacklist and Guess what? Uh, all right, so we need to test that because maybe a developer did the same thing, right?
0: I, I, yeah, I, I know I mean, we've all done it. Well, so it, it's, I mean, you know me, like I, I want to limit the, the spaces of our freedom at some points because of, of that sort of stuff, right? Like yeah. very very Camus, like very Sartre style view of things. But like, honestly, if you restrict the space of things that you can do, it, it, it becomes, like there's a programming language called Dhal, uh, D-H-A-L-L which is a uh, sub-Turing, um, it's, it, so it's proven to terminate. You can analyze it with certain things. And it's, it's actually extremely useful and extremely powerful still. Um, and it's a ex- extremely interesting configuration language because it has the, it, it's proven to terminate. So you can no, write that's... things, I'm sorry?
1: No, 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 I was just gonna ask. I, like, I think I found it, it's, it's the configuration language.
0: Yeah, a it's non-repetitive your... alternative to, to YAML.
1: Yeah. Well. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yep.
0: Like, there's uh, there's all sorts of interesting uh, there's all sorts of interesting applications to Dal because it restricts the search space of things that developers can do, and the super interesting thing about Dal is they have a security and safety guarantees page within their wiki.
1: Really. So, like. Let me take a look at that. I want to look at it really quick. Yeah, so so what, is that? what does that safety and guarantees
0: actually say? Well, so it, it guarantees effects, code injection. Uh, it guarantees uh, like XSS or, or just general injection there. Uh, same origin policy. Like it, it talks through types and all that sort of stuff. And then it, it goes through like Turing completeness and handling program failures and those sorts of things. So there are a certain set of design choices in Dal. That that restrict your freedom, right? That keep you keep you in this smaller box. But by do, like in doing so, it gives you a lot of other safety because it can guarantee certain things about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, this goes back to discussions that we've had. I mean, even as far yeah. back as talking to like Manico and things like that. Um, yep. On right the the tools that we give developers. Um, like we, we, we tend to shoot ourselves in the foot, right. From a security perspective, cause we give them too many options. I, I mean, you think about where most exploits come from as far as buffer overflows and, you know, C-level programming languages, uh, the fact that safety is not built into that is a huge problem. And that's where a lot of the, the exploits come from. So if we improve ourselves and actually like, you know, give them a model that exists, I, like <sighs> But I do feel like we, we end up fighting this line of, you know, freedom to be creative,
0: right? Uh, like, you know,
1: academic freedom. Ah!
0: Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you can be very creative in programming languages and still still do safety very well, right? Yeah. I mean, think about it. In C, just take C to pick on C because it's super easy. Like Microsoft, I think it was 70% of their bugs were m- memory safety issues. Oh, yeah. It had nothing like... and. Do developers actually need, like, pointer, pointer math? Like, do they actually need that? Like, no. There's very no. few pro- programs and problems that actually require pointer math. But we, for some reason, think that that's a necessary thing to give programmers who have time, including myself. I'm not excluding myself in this. Time and time again, I have screwed up pointer math. Yeah. Because it's just like, you forget something, it's off by one, and then you sigsev, and you like you know have done something wrong, or you use after free, or whatever. And yeah. we have languages like Rust, or Zig, or ATS, or F-star, or any of those sorts of things that everyone glazes over as I say them. Um, that like, we have, we have things that restrict our freedom, but make these things better. You, you can get things for that. <laughs> I love how you're smiling at this shit, because you do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> You listen to me all the time rant about stuff and then it's just like, (laughs) you know,
1: it's not getting any better. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. But no, 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 you're absolutely right. In in your space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know, man. I like I do see improvements, but like I think about the applications that I look at and it's the same Java stuff. It's the same, mm-hmm. you, know, you know what I mean? It's the developers that are quickly pushing something out for a business use case and I don't necessarily see the, like the improvement on the testing side, you know, mm-hmm. since like uh, you know, that's our, uh, from just a, you know, a base level, you know, proving the application does what it is supposed to do. Right. Like, it, you know, taking security out of it, just a general, you know, functional, you know, everything's in place for me to know that this application is indeed complete. It just doesn't exist. Um, like if I have test, if I have tests written for 90% of my, uh, like my assessments that I do, like code review, um, like that would be amazing. Like I think I'd probably <laughs> run into like 10% actually you know have a test written that's not just a a stub um, right so, so like i like I, re- I really start to question whether or not there's even any discipline in the industry at all um, outside of just kicking stuff out i like i know you're in a different space because the people that come to trail of bits are looking for <laughs> symbolic execution right. they're looking for the that higher order testing and I know that there's groups out there that are doing at least some of that, like just somebody asking whether or not I can provide like unit, you know, test cases and things like that. Hey, that's an improvement, but that was a large, large consulting, like uh, development firm that asked for it. Uh, most of them are using some fly by night you know, <laughs> consultancy out of India that, right. you know, is just churning out code as quickly as possible. And, yeah. I, I mean, I guess that's my rant, right? You know, is it just, I don't, I don't see it on my side.
0: Well, I mean, I do think though that like, and, and this is going to be extremely nerdy, but like by Curry Howard, right? Curry Howard isomorphism. If you have types, you're at least constraining the search space of your application via that. And the yeah. higher the level of types you have, like for example, let's say you had a string, a string comes in, you append it to two other strings. Now you have XSS and so now you have SQL injection well, what if, this, what if the string class that you had was like unsafe string and it couldn't be appended to normal strings, right? Even that simple change that all user input is set to unsafe string, you can now do a whole set of things just by making sure that you have unsafe string in your application. That mm-hmm. one change that adding types restricts the search space of your application significantly. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I mean, like- it,
1: you're absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you have Django, and they just market everything as safe because yeah. they want, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's I do. Just, yeah.
0: I, I think we switched who's the nihilist and who's the, like, optimist. I
1: know, I know we have. <laughs> You've ruined testing for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm
0: going
1: to go open a bookstore. Sell
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so coffee. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, it can, it can really get better. It, like, with types, with testing, with documentation. I think the, the reason why I like types better and the reason why I like proofs better is that they're harder to, they're harder to miss right? If the compiler tells you you can't do this because of a type system, it's very different from like, oh, we have those docs. We run it when it goes to Jenkins. And then you look at those and like, there's no, like we haven't updated those in like four years. They have no connection to reality. Like that route doesn't exist anymore. It's not called that anymore. Like that's why I'm against types and like, I mean, against testing and documentation in that way, because it's very easy to get out of sync, especially if you're not rigorous about it. Whereas types like The program enforces many of these things for you. Yeah, and then when you get to refinement types and you get to those higher level types, then you get to the really sexy stuff. Yeah, that's true.
1: So, what would you recommend? Like, okay, a client comes to you and is like, "Hey, you know, we are throwing everything out. Um, We're developing a web application. It does X, Y, and Z. What do you recommend
0: that they use?" Well, I mean, if they're doing something like, let's say, they're a C sharp shop, right? Yeah. Um, If they have, if honestly, the first thing I'd recommend is like, don't do anything outside of what the framework recommends. Like don't hack around the framework. You're not smarter than the framework developers. I swear. (laughs) Um, But if they, if they had to do something truly novel with their work, I would recommend putting in some time to learn alloy, putting in some time to learn Agda, putting in some time to learn F sharp and F star and actually modeling very small portions of your application. Model your input validation system, model your authentication system. Yeah, I mean, of course, the rest of the application can still be vulnerable, but at least you know those central controls are okay. And as long as you don't deviate from those central controls, you're okay. Yeah. And then prove that those central controls do what you think they're doing. Yeah. And that can be from, from model extraction or from, from you know, refinement types and lightweight verification. But yeah, I would recommend that. Same thing in Java, like do some things in Scala, which I know you'll hate, um, or, or do things in, in you know, JML, and make sure that you extract an implementation from what you specified. Yeah for, for small portions, they should be like 100 lines of code, security kernels, you know, not for your entire application, right? Eventually, you'll get there. Eventually, you'll do your whole application. But if you can specify your authentication piece, that's a huge win.
1: Oh, it definitely is, right? So, like, I keep going back to kind of like the code review process and like what what I do, like, or what like what we teach people, and that's always it, right? Is okay. Someone throws four million lines of code at you. Guess what? There's certain pieces that are critical to the application, and that's where you start, right? and like yeah don't try to do it all yeah start with authentication start with the authorization piece that everything's running through because if that is solid you're gonna have less problems with some of the other things like start with the user input right like how is that marked as it's coming in like i mean you're talking about type safe languages and that's awesome if we can get to that point but at the very least if we know that that user input's coming in we can handle it differently or we can we can enforce that on a different level than we would at something else so yeah i mean like i'm just not sure on how to like how to push that out best to these these developers right i i just that that's what i struggle with
0: it's frameworks and types it's frameworks and types it's like um i worked at a large hedge fund previously and when we got on certain Java applications, we knew we were not going to have XSS. We were not going to have CSRF. We were not going to have clickjacking. We were not, because they had a framework that was super small, super audited. It was like, every time you started a new Java application, you must start with this. And mm-hmm. they had audited that framework and they had proven that framework to be correct. And it was kind of like, it sucks, but we're not going to, we know we're not going to get XSS unless they really mess something up. Yep, And then the finding is not XSS, but the finding is that you didn't use the framework. Yeah. So it, it was good for us because it, it reduced our search space, but it also was bad for us because we very infrequently had any cool vulnerabilities. It was very much like they're using that framework. Like we're not going to get anything again, yeah. you know, like app doesn't do anything. So, <laughs> but yeah. But I, I, I mean, I dig that.
1: I, I dig that approach, right? Like it's, it's the whole idea. I, I mean, it's all, it's all like Netflix. Like we had those like Asta and those guys on, and they've talked about their paved road, right? The mm-hmm. developers go in and they use the frameworks and the, you know, the paths that, have that security is blessed. And guess what? It just means that, Hey, uh, yeah, we know that there's not going to be XSS. I, I mean, GitHub with their like CSP policy and all that stuff. It just, you know what I mean? It it reduces that risk so much. It almost becomes a boring portion of your job as an application security person, because it is, it is all specified properly.
0: Um. Shouldn't it be boring? I don't think security should be ex- like security should not be exciting. The fact, <laughs> that security, right. the fact that security is exciting is not exciting for clients. I can tell you when you call them and you're like, Hey, by the way, I have a critical, um, you accidentally forgot to authenticate people who are requesting all social security numbers. No one is excited by that. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> that just means you ruin someone's weekend. <laughs> yeah. No one loves you for that. Okay. <laughs>
1: no, I know. I know. gosh. <laughs> In fact, they hate like I, ju- I, ju- yeah, I just, I- yeah, I just dumped your entire customer database and it looks like it's been there for two years. What are you going to do now? Right? Like, well, you're going to be, uh, life's going to be hard. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hey, you're right. You're right. You know, I don't think security should be exciting. Security should be harm reduction and safety. And those things are not exciting. Unfortunately. Yeah. You know? You
1: know, yeah. 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 They're really not. Right. And I, again, you know, people that you know want to be hackers or whatever. Right. They don't they don't want to do my job. Right? They don't want to do your job. Um, yeah. they, they, they see the one like exploit or whatever that, you know, is pretty cool or you kind of talk about, but they don't actually see the amount of work that goes into it and the amount of the, the amount of time that it's taking you to get to the point that you recognize something like that.
0: There was someone I follow on Twitter. I forget his his handle, so I apologize because someone's going to do a Twitter search and then they're going to be like, "It's this person." And you forgot his name, but yeah. he—I think it's Kyle Maxwell. Um, he has a—he had a tweet that was like, uh, "Breaking is super easy. Come back to me when you can fix it."
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, and it is like as security people, half the stuff we like. Like I was at a client that was near you and they were like, well, how did you break it? And I was like, uh, I wrote a shell script that ran Redamsa a lot and that crashed your application. Here's the input that did it. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing I did was that interesting. Like, I'm not cool. I just like, I used, a, I used Redamsa, fuzz the crap out of it and it broke. Yeah. And that's it. Good luck with that, no. guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, no, that's it. I, I mean, you talk about SQL injection vulnerabilities. Yeah. And like it, it, it's seriously for me anymore. It's just like I find one and I'm not super excited about it because I'm like, oh, they're they're always like, well, how did you find this? And I'm like, I put a tick mark in a parameter. Right. And they're yeah. like, and cool. then and then I ran SQL map against it and it found a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Yeah. And they're like, well, how did, oh, yeah, like, all I did was use your application. Really? That's, that's all it boiled down to. And I'm like, okay, so show me the code. Let's talk about fixing it because that's where it gets interesting. But that's also the hard piece, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the other thing that I get into with like the secure code review is most people don't want to do the hard work in that. Right? Yeah. Like if I find a vulnerability in secure code review, hey, like it's it's typically crap. Now, how do I tell them to actually fix this vulnerability? It's yeah. usually not just like switching a parameterized query. It's like, oh, this input's coming in here. You need to create this whole library to actually validate this properly, or you have to create a map of what's fa-. and it's, it's, it's not a super easy solution. As consultants, we are uh, like, we're still guilty of turning in reports that basically say, here's the problem. And then I'm out.
0: Right. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Have fun with that. Good, Good luck.
1: luck over the next six, six months of fixing it,
0: right? I've, I've always wanted to get a tattoo and a shirt that said, I broke your application with terrible HTML and a childlike sense of wonder because it's just like, that's <laughs> all we do, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's literally all we do. But I mean, it's funny you say that because one of, the, one of the people I have one-on-ones with, he actually asked me like, why don't you like finding vulnerabilities? And it's like I, I don't like finding vulnerabilities because it means I have to write a report and I made I made someone sad. Yeah, like part, it's it's like this weird dichotomy. You want to find one, you want to find a vulnerability. You want to be cool, but then it's like, but now I have to ruin someone's day, and that's not cool. This is bad, you know. And it, it's hard. It's a, it's a hard like it's hard to walk that line and actually do things and and provide meaningful value to clients. Yeah, thankfully no, really- we all die.
1: <laughs> yeah, eventually it doesn't matter anyway, no. and it's all going to disappear. So, so I, I'm going to get. I, I'm going to become the nihilist now. as that, that, that that's what we've decided, right? Oh god. Oh man, man. So so testing is awful. There you go. Is that is that. <laughs> Everything's awful. Everything's awful. <laughs> it's awful. Everything's awful. It's just, I'll put a nice graphic here at the end and then we can just end it. Right. Cause I, I mean, honestly, this was supposed to be a short episode and we've already gone like longer than usually Ken and I do.
0: That's how you and I always end up whenever <laughs> I, we start talking about
1: I back. know. I know. <laughs> and usually when we've got Ken on here too, he just starts Googling stuff and reading what you're talking about. Well, and that ends nice. <laughs> Yeah.
0: That's like that tweet I had the other day. Uh, like, uh, Hong made a Hong made one of those like uh O'Reilly books for me. Yeah. <laughs> um like yeah. Uh hang on, I'll I'll link it to you in, in chat. But sweet. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely the best sort of this thing. Where it's like what what the hell is logical on about? <laughs> like a guide. <laughs> <laughs> that guy <laughs> uh,
1: st- still didn't answer any questions. I don't nope. think.
0: Right? <laughs> it's all just absurdist <laughs> nonsense, anyway. <laughs> but no, I mean, I do think I do think we can get better with testing. We just, you know, will we? That's the question. Yeah. No. Nah. Well, and it, but I, but
1: I think it starts, you know, like having what you know the specification, like we're we're talking about. That's where it has to start. Um, and then having the tools and the frameworks in place on the other side that the, the developers are using, it becomes less of an issue. Um, I, I I just don't see us getting there anytime soon, right? Like I mean, it keeps job security for us for a long time, but I, like I I still see developers using old versions of like Spring and like I still see Struts out there as and from a Java perspective, and I, like I I'm, I'm just like okay, really, we haven't learned anything in the last 15 years. That's what it feels like to me is, you know, yes, you know, it's getting better incrementally, but it's nowhere near fast enough as the new stuff that's coming down the pipe is just as bad.
0: So. Well, I think we're seeing it in spaces that it can be applied, right? Like yeah. Microsoft is writing a ton of stuff in F star and they're proving out a lot of their code or okay. the, the Ethereum folks are like proving out that, like, that their, their VM does what they think it does. It does. Yeah. And I think it's the same approach for your application. You prove out the critical sections of your app, like Ethereum doesn't think about like the entirety of the Ethereum ecosystem. They think about how does the VM work? Does the VM do what I think it does? It's the same for your application. Whatever is the critical component of your application, that's what you prove. Yeah. And then you forget about the rest of the application because it's it's all terrible and misery and, and awful. And you just <laughs> and it's
1: it's it's not it's not gonna work how you expect it anyway. No, but, but at the, least the authentication understand. is secure,
0: right? <laughs> I mean but you start there. You start with authentication and then you prove that every section of your application is authenticated, you yeah. know? And then you prove that authentication does what you think it does, and then you 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 keep moving on, you know? You iterate you iterate on the test, you iterate on the specification, you iterate. And then the next time when you have to rewrite it, because eventually everything dies, you, you can hold yourself to the same specification.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it's the same. Yeah, because you've got the same requirements. You've got the, the same specs there. You spent the time up front doing it. Now, anything else that fits into that, or you know, God forbid you switch over to a different application, you have a specification for authentication that can probably be applied to multiple apps. Um, or multiple jobs, you know what have you, and you can take that with you and improve as you go along. So,
0: yeah, no, I mean yeah. it's, it's great, but <laughs> it's great. No, it's awful. <laughs> I mean, we probably lost like half the audience or more here for this entire thing, <laughs> but
1: <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter. It was fun. So
0: it was fun. Uh, it's always fun talking to you, Seth.
1: Yeah, it was good. Um, yeah, we've been going for like eighty minutes or some crazy thing like Whatever. that. So. Eh, whatever uh we'll go ahead and call it for today um if if people have questions they could find stefan on twitter
0: and (laughs) And ask him because i ain't fucking
1: doing that no No, if you want to talk sputter we can too right like how that fits into a testing life cycle um I, i mean realistically like you know, your recommendations as far as like frameworks and things like that, where to start from are, are are good. And that's that's what people should be thinking about. But they should be thinking about testing in more than one way, right? Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I mean, the more ways that you can prove out that your application, number one, does what it's supposed to do, and number two, um, is verified as secure, I, the better off you're going to be. So
0: I think unit tests, integration tests, property tests. Mm-hmm. Like hypothesis or any of those sorts of things. If you can if you can integrate hypothesis on top of your integration and unit tests, I think you've already won a huge battle there. Yeah. Yeah. So. And
1: and you're and you're miles, if not light years, beyond what most people are doing in the space.
0: I know. Like you're it, gonna Yeah. It's, it's sad. <laughs>
1: it's sad. And everything's awful. So Everything there you have it.
0: <laughs> Everyone's going to be depressed after this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, now I have to go find a drink again because I talked to Stefan on the podcast. So, Ugh, you know,
0: um,
1: yeah, but let's see. I, I don't think we have any other announcements or anything today. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Again, if you've got questions, hit me up on Twitter at Cephlaw, hit Stefan up at Logical. Um, and you, you, can find him, you can find him, you know, either through me or through other people, if you want to as well, if you want to join us on Slack or what have you feel free, come in, let's talk about testing some more because obviously we have opinions about it. <laughs> I don't think we're opinionated per se, but definitely like, you know, we have our, our views on how things should be handled. So, <laughs> cool. Well, appreciate everyone for joining us. Stefan, thanks for joining me again. You know, of course. while Ken's off sitting in the sun somewhere. I um, hope, he's, hope he's turning red. Uh, <laughs> that's not nice. Uh, that's not nice. I, I I got done with being nice after he tweeted out a couple of those pictures, so I don't care anymore. Oh, no, yeah. No. He
0: texted me on the plane. He's like, guess who's in first class? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks again, Stefan.
0: Thanks, everyone.